Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. It's, it's very easy to become comfortable with something you do all the time. I mean, honestly, how many of you thought about how to tie your shoes this morning when you tied your shoes? Not even, well, okay, we got a couple kids that did. But most of us adults, when we tie our shoes, we don't think, you know, bunny goes around the log, bunny goes in a hole. You know, we don't, we don't think about it. We just tie our shoes. When we drive our car, we don't think really about what we're doing. We just get in and automatically do it. You know, I hate getting into another car. Of course, I've, uh, my car, I drive a, a Ford Explorer, and it's a 99. And I love that thing. And April keeps wanting me to get rid of it and get a new one. And I'm like, why? It's, it's awesome. It's old, it's beat up, but man, it's awesome. But the gear shifter, of course, is on the column. And so I'm used to, I get in, I fire it up, put it in reverse, drive and go. When I get in Parker's car, his Cherokee, his gear shifter's on the, the little sitter thing there. So I always reach for it up here and end up smacking the lights on or something and have to realize oh, I'm in my car, I'm not in my car, i got to do something else. Because when we do something all the time, it becomes so routine that we get used to it and we, we don't even think about it. That's the same way with our worship services. Uh, if we're not careful, we can become routine. We, we, all, you know, we try to shift things up a little bit here from time to time, and sometimes it's on purpose, sometimes it's because things just don't go the way we plan. But we, we try to do things a little bit differently, but you pretty much know the routine. Come in, stand up, sing a few songs, shake a few hands, put some money in the offering plate, sing a few more songs, sit down, listen to preaching, go home and eat some lunch. And that's the routine. And you get used to that. And so the meaning of it becomes lost on us. And so that's true of the Lord's Supper. We can become so used to the ceremony, so used to knowing what to expect, that we just go through the motions without even thinking about it. So this morning we're going to take some few moments, more extra time, before we observe the Lord's Supper, and we're going to focus on why as a church and why as a believer this ordinance is important to us. If you've been in church any length of time, either in this one or another church, you're familiar with the Lord's Supper. Most churches have a table like this one in the front of their, their auditorium that says, do this in, rem- this do in remembrance of me. And every, every week, millions of Christians go to these churches, they see those words, but it doesn't, doesn't resonate with them. They don't understand the meaning of them. They don't understand the power of them. They don't understand the purpose of them. And some churches do Lord's Supper a little more regularly than we do. I know churches that do it every week. Every week they'll, on the end of the service, do the Lord's Supper, and some will do it once a month, some will do it, you know, pretty regular, but they tack it on. And so, but my opinion as a pastor, when we, when we do the Lord's Supper that much, it becomes routine. It becomes commonplace. 
And the one thing the Lord's Supper was never meant to be was routine. It was never meant to be commonplace. It is meant to be something that changes us, that affects us, that moves us to understand what God did for us. And unfortunately, many are in this room who we've gone through the motions of doing the Lord's Supper so much that it becomes routine. So this morning, if you're here and you've partaken of the Lord's Supper a thousand times, or this is your first time, I just ask that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, listen to the, the teaching of the Word of God, and allow the Lord's Supper to speak to you. Allow the events of today to impact your life in a way that never has before. So that's why when we do the Lord's Supper at New Grace, we dedicate the entire service to remembering what God did for us. We dedicate the entire service so we can explain it, so we can see the significance of it and give it the, the, the attention that it truly deserves. And we also want those who've done this a, a hundred times or the first time to meditate on the principles of the Lord's Supper. So with that in mind, look at Luke chapter 22, starting in verse number 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down with the twelve and apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire, I have with desire I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he, he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I thought I lost my place there. <laughs> and if I among yourselves, for I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which was given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, of course, this is a powerful scene in Scripture, and it's, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Each one of them record them in a little different manner. Of course, John talks about the foot washing and goes into a little more detail. And every Gospel gives a different uh, viewpoint of these events. But what's happening here is Jesus is enjoying what we know as the Last Supper with His Apostles. Now, the Apostles did not know that this was the Last Supper. To them, they were coming to Jerusalem to worship the Passover. It was something they'd done every year with Jesus before, something they'd done every year as a child, as they grew up in the Jewish faith. They would observe the Passover. They knew the routine. They knew the ritual. They knew the meaning. And it had become routine to them. It's like our Thanksgiving dinner. You know, we all love Thanksgiving dinner. If you don't like Thanksgiving dinner, something's wrong with you, and you need to check your salvation. That's in Scripture somewhere. But we know, you know, Thanksgiving dinner, sometimes we shift it up a little bit, but we know family's going to come over, we're going to be hectic, someone's going to get in a fight somewhere or another, there's going to be turmoil somewhere, there's going to be drama. But we all have our different family traditions. Some people have turkey, some people have ham, some people eat steak or anything. You know, some people eat, you know, tofu. They're weird too. But everyone has their own routines that they do every year, their own traditions, their own things that they know what to expect. They know, you know, in my house, you know to expect a perfectly cooked turkey because I'm going to cook it. Now, I may catch the stove on fire doing it like I did two years ago, but it was still perfect. You can expect ham, you can expect sweet potato casserole and broccoli casserole and rolls and all, I mean, just all the food. You can expect way too much food for a family of five to eat. 
But we do our best. And we eat it all. And then you can expect the next day we're going to get up and we're going to go pick our Christmas tree out and we're going to cut the Christmas tree down and we're going to try to get back in time to watch the UVA Tech game because this year is UVA's year and we're taking them down. Can I get an amen? amen. Hey, all right. Some of y'all Tech fans didn't know what I just said there. So we'll get home, we'll watch the game, we'll have some fun, and that's, that's traditions that we do. And it becomes common. And so when the apostles came to Jerusalem with Jesus, they knew what to expect. And we've, we've gone through it here and taught it here. The Seder meal, the Passover meal, was a, a, an hours-long ordeal where they had all kinds of traditions, four glasses of wine that represented different things, and all the, the bitter herbs and the, the, the deviled egg and all these different things that met, meant something to them. And so they knew what, to, what was coming, knew what to expect. But this time, Jesus did something different. This time, Jesus changed it up. He, he gives them many instructions during this last supper with him. He is preparing them for the events that are going to come in less than 24 hours. He's been telling them for three and a half years, I'm going to live, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be, I'm going to be killed and crucified and risen again. He's told them time and time and time again that this is going to happen, but they, they never really caught on. And now he's like, hey, it's happening now and you need to be prepared. So he's giving them some instructions. Then during this Passover meal, he does something with the, the wine and the bread that they didn't expect. He, he breaks off of script. Because every time that they would do the Passover, when you would take the bread, there was a prayer you would recite during each time. And each, each cup of wine had a prayer you would recite, a prayer of blessing, a prayer of thanksgiving. And they had these, these prayers they recited. And so they're expecting Jesus to do this, but he does something completely different. He tells them, this bread doesn't represent what happened in the wilderness and God feeding manna anymore. This represents my body that's going to be broken for you. This cup doesn't represent the cup of blessing from Israel anymore. This cup represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. And from now on out, you won't observe the Passover coming out of Egypt anymore but from now on, I want you, as often as you do it, as you drink this cup, as you take this bread, to remember what I did for you. To remember the broken body. To remember the shed blood that was broken for you and was shed for you. So this, as we prepare our hearts this morning, I want to answer a couple questions, a question regarding the Lord's Supper. Why did Jesus give this ordinance to us? He could have given us anything to remember him by. I mean, let's face it, he's God. He could have just written it permanently in the sky in clouds. I mean, he could, he could broadcast it on a giant sky-sized TV every single day. He could have given us anything to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. So why did he choose the Lord's Supper. I believe Jesus had a powerful reason for giving us this ceremony and telling us as often as we do it to remember Him. Here's the first reason. To anchor us in the reality of the cross. To anchor us in the reality of the cross. This practice was given to the followers of Christ so we could be anchored, we could be fastened in the reality of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Now, it's important he did this during Passover because, of course, during Passover, that was given to the Israelites to anchor them in the reality that one day, as they were slaves in Egypt, God, because he was keeping his promise, he was honoring his word to Abraham, sent the death angel through the land of Egypt, and every house that had the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on the sides, every house that had the blood applied, the death angel passed over them and delivered them from Egypt. So every year they would remember the Passover. They would sacrifice a lamb. They would have a feast and thank God for what He did because every year they want to remember and anchor themselves in the reality that if it was not for God, they'd have died slaves in Egypt. If it was not for God... They'd have never been let out. They'd have never conquered their enemies. They'd have still been enslaved today. But because God did for them what they could not do, they were a free people with their own nation. The promise was fulfilled because God did for them what they couldn't do. The Passover is to remind us, the the Lord's Supper is to anchor us in the reality that one day over 2,000 years ago, God did for us what we could not do. He died on the cross in our place. He suffered a death that I should have suffered, that you should have suffered. He willingly and eagerly allowed himself to be killed for us. The cross is the focal point of our belief. Without the cross, there's no redemption. Without the cross... There is no hope. Without the cross, there is no salvation. And as he sits with his apostles, they see him for who he is. They see him as the Christ. They see him as God in the flesh. They see him as their leader. They had walked with him for three and a half years. He had, they had seen him teach and they had seen him do miracles. And every time they saw him teach, he taught in figurative language. They were with him when he's walking through the vineyard and he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Now they knew he's not really the vine. <coughs> they knew that they weren't really the branches. It was a figurative lesson he was getting across. They were there when he said the kingdom of God is like a, a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God is like a city, a, a treasure hidden in a field. He was speaking figuratively to teach a powerful truth. They were there when he said, I'm the light of the world. So they knew that he spoke in figurative language to teach powerful truths. And so now here he is once again saying, this bread is my body. It's not really his body. Some religions teach that when you take the bread, the bread becomes the body of Christ. That's not what happens. We're not eating the body of Jesus. We're not drinking the blood of Jesus. It's a representation. He's saying, this bread is broken like my body would be broken for you. So at the Last Supper, he does something they didn't expect. He breaks the bread and says, this bread is that I just broke, it represents my body because it's going to be broken for you. Then he takes a cup and says, this, this cup, it represents my blood that is going to be shed for you. The disciples had, had never really heard him talk like this before. They, they'd heard him say, as the temple is being torn down and they re- rebuilt in three days, I saw well the Son of God. And they heard him say, he, and kind of teach figuratively, I'm going to die and rise again three days later. He said it kind of plainly from time to time, but they never really caught on. But now what he's been teaching about for three and a half years, it's here. He's saying, guys, I know we've been leading up to this. Maybe you're not ready, 
But my body is going to be broken very soon for you. And you're going to have to remember what I did for you. So whenever you get together, as often as you do this, remember my broken body for you. Remember my shed blood for you. Because he wants us to never forget the reality of the cross. Without the cross, we have no hope. But there's another reason, some other reasons he wanted us to partake the Lord's Supper, to anchor us in the reality of the cross. Number two, to help us remember that Jesus died. There is a moment in history where the Son of God was beaten, where the Son of God was mocked and ridiculed, where the Son of God had his beard ripped out, where the Son of God was spit on, where the Son of God had a crown of thorns placed on his head, where the Son of God was carried up to a top of a hill, where the Son of God was nailed to a cross, or where the Son of God died. It's not something that, it's not a fairy tale. This is something that actually happened. You know, sometimes we, in the scriptures, and of course, you know, we're, we're Baptists. We're good Baptists. We believe everything in the Bible from cover to cover, even mine size genuine leather. I even believe that. I believe the table of contents. I believe the, the maps. I believe all of it. And we say that, and we mean that, but sometimes the stories can become almost fairy tales to us. They're not real, they're just they're stories. We would never say it, but we kind of treat it that way. Ah, Jonah wasn't really swatted by a fish. Ah, God didn't really destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. Ah, the world never really did flood. And we, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we, we live that way. We need to understand that thousands of years ago, God in the flesh, He didn't send an angel. He didn't pick a man. God Himself came down, wrapped Himself in humanity, lived a perfectly sinful life, and at 33 years old, God died on the cross. And God, that truly happened. And if you, you know, it's often, we need to remember that, you know, every, every couple months sometimes I'll go through and I'll, I'll read the crucifixion story. And I'll remember what God went through for me because, again, we can think, well, he's God. Did he really suffer that much? He suffered incredibly. I mean, medical doctors have explained the, the scourging that Jesus went through where these Roman soldiers are so skilled at torturing their victim that they would rip chunks of flesh off the body. That happened to God for me. He really suffered. He really had his body broken. He really died. And the truth of the cross, the truth that he literally died, it should affect us and we should never drift from that truth. There was a time when God in the flesh chose to suffer a painful, humiliating death. That reality needs to be in our head and our hearts today. But there's a third thing Jesus wants us to remember. To help us remember that Jesus died to pay for our sins. That changes everything. Jesus didn't just die because he, had, he felt like going back home. 
He didn't die because he didn't have a good enough ACLU lawyer to, to get him off. He died for a purpose. He died because he had to shed his blood so we wouldn't have to suffer hell. He died for us. It's, it's bad enough to realize that the Son of God was crucified, but it takes it to a new level when we realize he did it for us. And again, we can kind of lose the, the power of that because like, well, for God so loved the world, Jesus, you know, he loved everybody, he loved all the creations. Yes, that's true. Yes, Jesus loved the world, so he died for the world, but he died for you. Individually, personally, you and me. Jesus died in my place. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, for he hath made him. Him is, of course, Jesus. He's made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now, we're not the ones who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. And when He died on the cross, God placed my sin and your sin and everyone's sin on Him and pulled the full wrath of God out on sin on the cross. He had made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus died on the cross to take my sin and give me His righteousness. And you know what I had to do to earn it? Not a thing. Because I couldn't. And neither could you. He knew that left to my own, I was without hope. Left to your own, you were without hope. You couldn't pay your sin debt. You couldn't be the righteous God. So He, in His love and mercy and grace, came to earth, died on a cross to become my sin and take the punishment for my sin. Take the wrath for my sin. So as I accept Him as my Savior, I can have His righteousness on my account. See, Jesus didn't die on the cross for His sins. He had done. He died for mine. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, let's focus on the reality that one day, God in the flesh willingly died on the cross to pay my sin debt, to pay your sin debt. In Luke twenty two twenty, Jesus says, this is the cup in the New Testament. Now, I don't think we really understand what he's saying here because to us, the New Testament are the books of the Bible from Matthew to Revelation. That's the New Testament. So he goes, oh, I'm doing this because it's, I'm giving the people the New Testament of the Bible. No, that's not what it meant. The word testament there means a covenant. It's like the covenant that God made with Noah not to destroy the earth with, with water again. It's the covenant God made with Abraham to make him a mighty nation and bless the whole world through him. So, But more specifically, this is a blood covenant God made with man regarding the covering of their sins since the Garden of Eden. You remember the story in the Garden of Eden? Of course, Adam was there and everything was perfect. Everybody's happy, and then he made Eve, and of course, women messed it up. Amen. No, I don't mean that. But God made Eve, and Eve, Eve fell and gave to Adam, who willingly fell, and God kicked him out of the garden. But before he did, he comes looking for him, and of course, they hear God coming, so they hide themselves, and he says, where are you at? And they come out, and they're covering themselves with fig leaves. They, When their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, and to cover their nakedness, they grabbed some fig leaves together and sewed some leaves together and tried to cover themselves. That is self-righteousness. That is man's work. 
They try to cover their sin with their own righteousness, with their own works. And God looked at them and said, that's not good enough. So God took an innocent lamb and killed that lamb and took the skins of that lamb and covered their body with it. And that began a covenant of God saying, your works of righteousness will never be enough. Blood must be shed to cover sin. So from that time on, even through the Passover, through the days of Israel, every year uh, they would, the, the Israelites would come together and they would slaughter a lamb to cover their sins for a while. One innocent lamb would give his life for the sins of a family. And that went on for thousands of years. But then one day, Jesus came. God in the flesh. As he's going to be baptized by his, his cousin, John the Baptist, John the Baptist said, hey, behold, the Lamb of God that covers your sins for a while. No, he says, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus knew, God knew, that for mankind's sin to be paid for once and for all, a perfect sacrifice had to be paid. Everyone in the Old Testament knew that without the shed of blood, there is no remissions. So the Old Covenant was based on the law and Israel's obedience. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm making a new covenant with you, a new contract with mankind. You don't have to kill animals anymore to cover up your sins. I'm going to make a new blood covenant based on my death, my blood, my death, my resurrection that will be enough to take away the sins of anyone who's willing to do it. So enough to remove sin. The new covenant was based on the blood of Jesus and it was solely dependent on His love for us. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of mankind for good to every person who willingly and freely accepts His gift. So during the Lord's Supper, we're to remember the pain and the death that Jesus endured for us. Not for His sins, for our sins. The Lord's Supper, more than just a ceremony we perform every once in a while. It's a sacred time where the child of God takes some time to remember what God did for him on the cross. But in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us some instructions that we should obey before taking the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse number 27. Wherefore... Whoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So what Paul tells us here is before we partake of this ceremony, we need to do a couple of things. We need to check our hearts. We need to know, first of all, we're right with God. If you are not saved this morning, if you've never accepted His death, burial, and resurrection as payment for your sins, if you've never accepted the excruciating sacrifice He went through on the cross, His shed blood, His broken body, if you've never accepted that as payment for your sins, you're not able to take the Lord's Supper this morning. It's only for believers. But maybe you're here and you are saved. If you've got some unconfessed sin before God, Paul says you better examine your heart and make sure you get that right before you take the Lord's Supper. 
Maybe you've got some issues between you and someone else. Maybe there's some strife between you and another church member. Maybe you and your, your, your spouse are not on speaking terms right now. I know you're, you're sitting here in church. You're looking the part. You're smiling and holding hands. But I know as soon as you get in your car to go home, you're going to stop talking and you won't talk again until you get back in church next week. Because you've got to put that face on. Maybe you're not on good terms. Maybe you and your parents have some issues. Maybe you've been a little disrespectful to your mom or your dad. You've acted unrighteously towards them. You've treated them poorly. What Paul's saying here is before you take these elements, you better get right with God and you better get right with them. Maybe some kids need to go to some mamas this morning and say, I'm sorry for acting the way I've acted. Maybe some spouses need to go to each other and say, I'm sorry for whatever I did. Don't say that. Know what you did. I'm sorry for hurting you. I'm sorry for this. Maybe you need to go to another church, say, I'm sorry for a church member, and say, I'm sorry I've had this bitterness in my heart towards you. Maybe you need to go to God. Say, God, I've got this sin that I've held on to. Lord, I pray you'd forgive me. Maybe you need to go to God and say, God, I need to accept you as my Savior. I've never done that. Whatever you need to do this morning, we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to pray. We're going to make sure we're right with God. We're going to make sure we're right with each other. We're going to make sure we're children of God before we do this. I'm going to have Joel come up and just play lightly on the guitar. And we'll have some time of prayer. So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes.